The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Tonight's reading uh, will be from Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Good. Well, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're excited you've joined us this evening. Um, it's a genuine honor to be sharing from God's word this evening. But before we jump in, let me pray for us. We really need God's help to understand his word. So let's, let's pray together. Father, it is, is good to be with you. It's good to be in this church with others. And right now we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see your love, to understand your word, open our eyes to see beautiful things in your word. Uh, so Holy Spirit, um, open us up. I pray if, if we are closed off at all to you tonight, if there are any walls up, any, any doors closed, I pray that you'd open those doors, you'd tear down those walls. And we wanna be open-hearted to you. So we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. We're currently in a, a three-part mini-series entitled Engaging the New Year, Steps Toward a Rule of Life. We'll get into what that is more. If you are here last week, you heard a bit about it from Gary. Uh, we're going to do this before we jump into the book of Matthew. So in two weeks, we're going to be starting the book of Matthew. But we're doing this little series right before we do that. I'm not sure about you, but it's crazy how quickly a year comes and a year goes. It's an opportunity to hit reset and set your new trajectories on this upcoming year. And so some of us have been working on our New Year resolutions. We've got our list of things that we're, are, we are resolved to do in 2020. And yet, as good as New Year resolutions are, I want to say this, we're convinced that unless these resolutions are met with practical habits and practices, none of those things will come to pass in 2020. We will end 2020 in the same way that we ended 2019. So if you plan to be a healthier person in 2020, but never take on new habits involving your body and health and dieting, you will not meet those things. In the same way, if you plan to learn a new language, but you don't download Duolingo and pick that language and start practicing it, you will continue to speak English throughout 2020, right? That's what you're doomed to. Uh, the same thing is true about our spiritual lives. That if we set resolutions, but if we don't follow those things with practices, we will find ourselves in the same place. And so because of this, we're trying as our best uh, as a church to focus in on how do we respond to the gospel of Jesus and seek to order our days, our hours, uh, these 52 weeks in 2020, um, and in more intentional ways. How do we build our lives around the pursuit of God and becoming more and more like Jesus? Instead of uh, speeding up in this new year, which oftentimes we feel the pressure to do, we look at our list of resolutions, we're like, okay, I gotta get on it. I think God is inviting us to slow down a little bit and say, slow down, where are you going? Where are you going? Slow down with me and step into this new year with me. So last week, Gary walked us through the story of Jesus uh, interacting with the woman at the well. And he called us to consider our own stories. What wells are each of us coming to in 2020 expecting to find life from? Where are you hoping to find satisfaction in 2020? Are we seeking Jesus as our living water? Or are we coming back to temporary wells that maybe draw a little bit of water for a season? But at the end of the day, they're broken cisterns and leave us dry and wanting more. 
Not only that, but he encouraged us to take a closer look at our life habits and see what they reveal about what we love. So we sent out a, a church-wide email, uh, point us to what we call the liturgical audit, right? Um, a habit inventory, if you will, um, looking at our life's habits, how we spend the majority of our days, what's taking up our time. And so uh, for the first time ever, I'm using a prop in a sermon. I apologize in advance, uh, but I hope it's helpful. So I, I have in front of you a mason jar, right? A mason jar. This, this mason jar represents your finite life and what you're able to include in your life with the limited time that you have. You have 24 hours a day, right? 52 weeks, uh, 52 weeks a year. And within that limited time, you're able to cram in particular habits and activities. And so this, this expresses that. And what we encourage you to do really through this uh, email audit was basically just take that and dump it all out and your daughter's lip balm and a lacrosse ball. Uh, and basically, we ask you to look at these things, pour out your life and say, man, how am I spending my time? How, is, how am I spending my free time? What are things am I dwelling on? How am I spending these things? And actually take a look at it and say, what kind of person am I becoming? Uh, Jamie Smith was here a few years ago. Uh, we, we were talking about his book last week, You Are What You Love. And he said something interesting a few years ago uh, here while he was here. He said, you are what you love, meaning you, whatever you behold, you become, like whatever you worship, you become like that thing. He says, you are what you love, but you might not love what you think. You might not love what you think. And our hope for this liturgical audit was saying, as we pour these things out and look at these things, saying, what was I spending my time doing? We'd hope to, to realize more of your life's habits and more of your life's affections. What are you giving yourself to? What are your life's Liturgies. How much time are you spending at work, on the phone, watching Netflix, fill in the blank? So what are liturgies? I have a quick definition up on the screen that we're going to look at. Liturgies are rhythms and habits of our lives that both reveal and orient our affections toward the perceived good life, whether consciously or subconsciously. So all of us walked in with an understanding, a basic understanding of what we believe the good life to be. And we surround our lives with habits that we think lead us in the direction of that good life. Right? We say, man, this is the good life, so therefore I'm going to do this, this, and this. That's why we do things. So those are what liturgies are. Right? They both reveal what we love and also they orient what we love. And so this liturgical audit that we sent out reminds all of us that we have a professed theology, things that we say we believe. But then also we have an actual theology, what we truly believe. We have stated values and then we have lived values. Our actual theology and our lived values are revealed in our habits, in our practices, in our liturgies. I always say this, show me your liturgies and I will show you your gods. Show me your liturgies, I will show you your gods. So today we're pressing into this idea of a rule of life some more. A rule of life. Uh, there's absolutely no way we can do this over three weeks. But we're trying to dip our toes, if you will, a little bit in this rule of life language. Uh, we believe it's really helpful for disciples of Jesus to consider. We think it's helpful uh, in the language of Paul. We think it's helpful to make the most of every opportunity, he says, or redeem the time. Uh, we hope that even with a few teachings and practical uh, steps to think about this and respond, uh, we can actually engage in 2020 with more intentionality and vision to step in with a plan, and most importantly, to step into 2020 with Jesus. Uh, before we get too far in, what is a rule of life? So if you missed last week, you're like, rule of life? What, what are you talking about? Uh, the word rule might have some negative connotations for you. It might sound legalistic. Uh, the word rule comes from regula, the Latin word regula. It means uh, rule or a straight stick. I grew up in Brazil, and uh, the word for ruler was hegula, right? 
uh, regula, it's all this Latin-based word, a, a straight stick, right? That's what the word rule means. Uh, far from having negative overtones, a rule of life or a stick of life intends to act more like, like a trellis in a vineyard, something that supports and enables us to live in particular ways that we want to live. So a trellis in a vineyard, how many of you guys have been to a vineyard before? You got trellises that stick up there. They, they hold up the vine and the fruit that's, that's hanging there, right? And that's, that the trellis is intended to make a vineyard more fruitful. Uh, to think of a rule of life more like a trellis in a vineyard than a list of do's and don'ts. There is no healthy vineyard that doesn't rely on a trellis for direction and support. A trellisless vineyard will, by definition, be a more unhealthy vineyard. It will be a less fruitful vineyard. So what is a rule of life? I have a quick definition I want to read up on the screen as well for you. A rule of life is this. It's a collection of liturgies that work together to shape us into a particular kind of person and lead us down a particular path. So again, a rule of life is a collection of liturgies that work together to shape us into a particular kind of person and lead us down a particular path. Do you know that everybody walked in here tonight has a rule of life, whether you've ever heard the word rule of life before or not. All of us have a rule of life, regardless of where we're coming from. Uh, every person, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, Jew, Muslim, Buddhist, all of us have a rule of life, whether we're aware of it, whether we're not, whether it's an intentional rule of life or whether it's an unintentional rule of life. Every one of us wake, wake up at particular times, work in particular ways, hobby in other ways. We have particular opinions and habits regarding our finances, the way we spend our money, um, our sexuality, our spirituality, our exercise and health, our technology, our social engagement. All of us have habits around those things. We spend ourselves in particular ways. And so again, if this is symbolic of our lives and in, 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 uh, actually a rule of life, as we begin to fill our lives with these things, your kids, McDonald's, Luke Skywalker toy, lacrosse ball, a watch, Mickey Mouse toy, a lot of very important things in this jar, lip balm. As we begin to fill our jars, we only have a limited capacity. But these things are shaping us either intentionally or unintentionally. Some of us have habits that we've had in our lives since we were born. We've, we've absorbed them from our, from our families of origin. Other ones we've added during elementary, during high school. We've started adding these habits, these, these patterns of thinking, these ways of life. And, that's, and that's, what we've, that's how we've shaped our lives. All of us have a rule of life. Socrates said this. He says, the, examined, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. And I want to say this to you tonight as well. The unexamined rule of life is not worth li living either. The unexamined rule of life is not living, worth living either. Why is that? I want to read a quote from Annie Dillard. It's a challenging one. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. A schedule defends us from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It is a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections of times. So when you think about your days, when you think about what you're filling your rule of life with, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. What does a rule of life in Denver in 2020 look like for the Christian? 
If all of us have a rule of life, what would it look like for us to actually be intentional about how we're filling our jars and not just kind of go along with the flow of things? What would it look like for us to craft a particular rule of life that aligns more with the kingdom of God than all the other kingdoms at play here in Denver? The kingdom of self, which is a prevalent one. The kingdom of Denver, which has a bunch of of habits and things it wants us to adopt and absorb, right? Some of those things are good habits. Others are bad habits. The kingdom of America has a series of values. It wants us to absorb good and bad what if, what if we as people actually were consciously taking on habits and rejecting others because we think it's opposed to the kingdom of God? What would it look like to start eliminating certain opposing habits from our rule of life that are deforming us and instead take on habits that are actually forming us towards Christ-likeness, um, creating joy in our lives, love in our lives? And I believe this is possible. And so in order to assist us in this journey, I want to I wanna come back to the prayer that we read earlier tonight, and that's Psalm 27, verse 4. It's a prayer of King David, uh, who, who though we know had some really pronounced failures, some brokenness in his life, some extreme sin that, was, that happened throughout his life. He was, interestingly, at the end of his day, he was described as a man after what? God's heart. David was described as a man after God's heart. If somebody had a description for you, how would they describe you? Man, that person is a man after fill in the blank. So and so, she is a woman after fill in the blank. What would that description be for you? It's an interesting question. One of the greatest places we see David's heart for God on display is Psalm 27, verse 4. I think his insight will be really helpful for us as we try to build out a rule of life for 2020. I mean, I think this verse also gets to the heart of the rule of life for the Christian. So let's read it. It'll be up on the screen as well. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to inquire in his temple. So for the rest of our time, I want to make two simple observations about this prayer. Um, and then close by looking at some, some practical disciplines that promote intimacy with God and how to move forward with those in our rule of life. And so the first point that I want to make about this prayer is this, that like David, we must cultivate a one-thing passion. Like David, we must learn to cultivate a one-thing passion. David tells us that his heart is set on one thing. It's something that he's asking God for. It's also something that he's seeking after. It was his singular pursuit, if you will, an obsession of sorts. If David had a rule of life written down, this would be the guiding principle of that rule of life. What is his one thing? He says, so that I may what? That I may what? Dwell in the house of the Lord for all the days of my life. He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord for all the days of his life. What does that mean? It was easier for David to say this because he lived where there was a physical tabernacle so he could actually go spend time there, right? He could dwell there, right? But not for us. What does this mean, right? What did this mean for David? David wasn't just looking for a house to chill out in. He wasn't looking for a couch to hang out in, in the house of God. He was obsessed with the house of God because of who was in the house. He was obsessed with the house of God because it was God's house. In the Old Testament, the temple was a place of God's presence, it was known as God's footstool, God's dwelling place on earth. It was, a, it was a place where heaven would meet earth. When David says he wants to dwell in the house of God for all the days of his life, he's saying he wants God's presence to be the single most defining characteristic of his life. 
That's where he wants to live. That's where he, want to find his, he wants to find his identity. God's presence is his one thing, passion. As a wealthy king, David knew that he, he had every opportunity to take in good and beautiful things into his life. But he knew that unless God was at the center of it, it would amount to nothing at the end of the day. He was a powerful king. But he knew that unless God was at the heart of it, and that's why he prayed, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord for all the days of my life. Well, we too, we live in Denver. It's a, it's, a, it's a city of endless good, fun, and beautiful possibilities, a world of many things, not one thing. We are a people of a million things. We value meaningful work, job promotions, increased wealth, healthy bodies, not just working hard, but also playing hard in the city and in the mountains, taking on a bunch of new hobbies, we're for the most part a fairly non-committal, FOMO, wait till the last minute to make sure nothing else comes my way kind of people, are we not? Psalm 16:1 says this, David says this, I have no good apart from you. Other translations would say apart from you, I have no good thing. Sad thing is that as a generation, we don't just want one thing. We want many things. We want all the things. If Denver had a voice, Denver would say, apart from God, we have many things, right? Look at this, look at this, look at this. In fact, forget that you don't have God. Just look at all these other things. You don't need God at the end of the day. And David was rejecting that premise. He was saying, apart from God, we have nothing. Therefore, I'm praying for this one thing. David is saying, ultimately, that if we miss this one thing, we will miss the whole thing. It doesn't mean that we can't have life surrounded by beautiful things. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy ourselves in the city. But it does mean that God should be the central and governing thing for us. I say this to Christians and non-Christians alike. We are wired for relationship and communion with God. This leads us to our next point, point number two. Not only should we cultivate a one thing passion, but we must also cultivate one thing practices. One thing practices or habits, liturgies. David wasn't just sitting around praying and passively asking God to do something and then not doing anything about it. He was active in his passion and desire for God and in turn his pursuit of God. What does it say again? It says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. He doesn't stop there. That will I what? Seek after. He's seeking after it. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He doesn't want to just lounge in the temple. What does he want to do? It says two things after that. To do what? Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and then what? To inquire in his temple. He wants to gaze and inquire. He wants to look at God and he also wants to talk to God and engage with him. He wants to meditate in his temple. He wants to seek God in his temple. David knew that he had a part to play in this pursuit and we must learn the same. We don't simply stumble into holiness by accident. Dallas Willard wisely said, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is opposed to earning. We don't have to earn God's favor. We already have it. Grace should lead us to effort, though. Effort. This is precisely why we're even talking about a rule of life. If I told you guys, guys, I am head over heels in love with my wife. I love her. She's my obsession. I can't stop thinking about her day and night. She's everything to me. And then you looked at my phone. You realized I'd never texted her in the last week. I hadn't set up time to hang out with her. In fact, when I go home, I don't talk to her. I ignore her. What would you think about my obsession of my wife? It's not that strong. 
right? You'd be like, ah, I don't really believe it. You, you, don't, you don't have anything to show for it, right? It's not hard to apply that same rationale to our relationship with God. David knew that his one thing, passion for God, was to be matched by one thing, practices. And the last two lines are an elaboration of this single request. He wants to dwell in God's house, and while he's there, he doesn't want to just sit around and veg out. He wants to gaze on God's beauty and inquire in his temple. He's in the house of God for a reason. He's on a mission there. These verbs are all connected to a continued and sustained pursuit of the person of God and following his ways. Anna mentioned this during our confession of sin, but the word that's kept jumping out to me as I've been studying this is this word, I want to gaze, to gaze. What does gaze mean? To gaze at something means to look steadily and intently. It's about undivided attention. And my wife and I are trying to teach one of our daughters to look at us in the eyes when we talk to her. And so we're like, okay, hey, I want to talk to you. I want to, hello, hey, look at me. Look at me in the eyes. And she's like, oh. We're like, look at me. I want to talk to you, right? Looking at one another is important for communication. It's important for relationships. It's important for, to grow in those things and not just be like, oh, I'm just going to ignore you, right? Gazing is a central part of our spirituality. Let me say this with as much love as I can, uh, with myself as well, convicted of this. But our culture today is terrible at gazing and giving our full attention to someone else. I've noticed that people are having a harder time with sustained eye contact. There is actually one exception. People are really good at gazing at one thing. What is that one thing? Our phones. Fascinating social experiment is to go in public, put your phone away, and look around and see what people are doing. What are people doing? So I was at a table, there's four friends sitting around. I literally saw all four friends on their phones, sitting at a table. I was at uh, the source the other night, and there was a couple sitting down. I don't know, they might have been texting the babysitter about how their life, their kid's life was in peril or whatever. I don't know. But it seemed like they just were both on their phone, like just on a date night, actually just not talking to each other, but more engaged and gazing at their phone instead of another person. I think this reveals that we've lost our capacity to look upward at God, outward at others, and even internally to slow down and say, where are we at? We're constantly asking for entertainment, amusement, distraction, something that's, that spikes our interest, right? Friends, couples, you name it. We've lost an ability simply to be quiet and silent before God. I'm, I'm just as guilty of this when I go out on a date with my wife and she's like, hey, I'm gonna go to the bathroom real quick. What's the first thing that I do? Oh, time to check my email, do whatever, however long she goes to the bathroom. I'm just gonna kind of go, oh, hey, you're back. Okay, great. If I get to a, a red light, it seems like, oh, you know, here's a little red light. I'm going to check my phony. It's like these habits. And, and if, if, you, if you understand what a habit is, there are decisions that are like yes or no decisions. You, you take on a decision. You, at some point, you choose to say yes to a decision. And then those continued series of yeses become habits for us, do they not? The continued habitual choosing of things, those lead us down into particular habits with our phones, with people, with, our, with um, exercise. All of these things are habits that we are forming and filling our rule of life with. And we're doing the same with our gazing habits. That's what we're doing. Um, this is, these are examples of bad habits that we've learned and now have become instinctive. In Psalm 27, what David is doing is he's talking about a far different gaze than gazing into our deathly technological zombie gazes, right? 
We, that's what we kind of go into. Our eyes start glazing over. When my daughters look at something on iPad, they're like, I'm like, hey, gay girls, let's go. And they're like, ah, right? Like, what is happening, right? In order to grow in gazing at God's beauty, we must learn to say no to some things and yes to some other things. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul interestingly says this. He says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And I think he's talking about certain things that aren't necessarily sin things. They're just permissible things. Things that might not bring tons of life to us and the con- connection of them one by one by one. Gary talked last week saying, you know, watching a show on Netflix isn't a bad thing. But if you binge watch every night again and again, it's probably a bad thing, Right? And this interesting thing about permissible versus beneficial, I think as we're filling our rule of life with things, if we fill our lives and all we put in our jar are permissible things and cramming out the way of beneficial things, we shouldn't be surprised when the collected, collective whole of our lives are complacent about things towards God and others. Does that make sense? We shouldn't be surprised. So a rule of life governed by permissible things won't lead us down a path of excitement and joy in Jesus. We'll just be like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's good. Things are good. What would it look like to dump some of those, even permissible things? For sure we want to get the sinful things out. But what would it look like to even say, you know what, this one, it's fine, but it's not leading me to true life. I just do these things out of habit, but I don't think it's bringing me true life. What would it look like to reject this one and actually take on a beneficial habit, something that would give me life in Jesus? And that's why we're talking about these things. Practices that stir our affection for God. We need to build our rule of life around beneficial things. By default, we must learn to put away our phones, say no to our email at times and other competing distractions, and say yes to engaging with God. I want to imagine with you all for a moment, what would it look like if all of us in this room tonight, we went home, and uh, I I did this this morning, but hopefully you'd have an alarm clock in your room. But if all of us just tonight, we took our phones, and we did this magical trick, right? We pressed the two buttons on the side, we slid that top button, we just turned it off. Because what happens first thing in the morning for most people? What do we do? Pick up our phone, and what do we do? Typically three things. Either email, social media, or news, right? And all three of these are interesting. This is the most susceptible time of the day. I don't know, you, you might be like an amazing person and be like, I, I never do that. I just wake up just in love with Jesus, Right? Come on up here and please teach this, right? But the truth of the matter for me is it's a discipline to say no to that. I'm like, oh, I'm curious to know what happened since I went to bed, right? The interesting thing is that email often leads us down productivity ruts. We, we start thinking about like, oh, man, I need to achieve this. I need to do this. Oh, my gosh. Our, our brain starts thinking about those things. If we look at social media, it starts leading us down these ruts of jealousy, of kind of some lustful thoughts. And I don't even mean sexual lustful thoughts. I'm just talking about just lustful thoughts of like wanting more things or like, wait, so-and-so got together last night and didn't invite me over, what? You know, those are the things. And then we're like sad, like first thing in the morning. We're also news, which we start looking at the news. And then again, inevitably things stir up when we look at the news, regardless of your political party affiliation. And you begin to either be fearful for the future or or angry, right? And all of those things seem to be a compilation of things that we don't want first thing in the morning. What would it look like if all of us 
tomorrow morning, woke up before we were you know, supposed to and said, Father, my heart's open to you today. I'm open to you. Before I look at my email, before I look at social media, before I read the news, remind me of who you are. Remind me of who I am. How do you think the rest of your day would go after that? It'd be pretty different, in my, in my opinion. You, you, would, you would set the stage for your day in, in, a, in a way more beautiful way than just the freneticism, the busyness, the chaos. I think this is a powerful example of bad habits for us, as well as evidence of our own addiction to technology. There was a, a group of Park Church people meeting, talking about change and transformation. And one person said, remember what the pastor said about change, right? It ha- uh, change happens by beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And everybody's like, yes, that's right. And then somebody else said, quick question. Uh, how do we behold God? There was some silence, right? A little more awkward silence. And then at some point, the conversation just changed topics. What about you tonight? If you ask the same question, how do you gaze on the beauty of God, this invisible being? How do you behold him? Would you be silent? What would you say to that? How do you behold God? Because I actually believe that we change as we see God, as we know the gospel of Jesus. Our lives are changed and transformed. But how do we do these things practically? Not just theoretically, but practically. I want to end our time just by by focusing in on some practical ways of exploring these disciplines of gazing at God and communing with him. This gazing on God happens through tangible, practical, spiritual disciplines of direct engagement with God. These aim... Uh, the aim for these practices is simply to be with God. We want to be with them. These are practices that help us know God and commune with Him. In some seasons, some of these disciplines will feel magical. At others, they will feel really mundane and lame. And yet they are grace to us all the same. They're grace to us all the same. So here's a list of some of these uh, disciplines of direct engagement. Admittedly, there's a ton of options in here that I'm bringing before you. My point isn't to overwhelm you, but help you realize that there are countless ways of beholding and engaging with God. I, my, my hope wasn't that you try to take all of these and try to cram them all like in your rule of life. And then that's, you know, that's what you do. There's no way that you could. Um, mostly I was hoping to, I, I, I realized this, I said, I was hoping to set a buffet before you. You know, but I realize that even buffets might not have the best imagery for you, you know. So I'm, I'm hoping to uh, carefully craft um, farm-to-table, organic, <laughs> fill-in-the-blank, you know, right, whatever. A series of plates before you with, with options of engagement with God that you could actually come by with a plate and say, you know what, I want to engage with God in this way and tangibly in this way and in this way. And that's what I'm hoping to do tonight. What are these practices? One of the practices that, that I'm going to mention tonight is silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. We spoke about this one during our Advent series. Uh, it's where we refrain from speaking and refrain from crowds in order just to focus on God's voice and God's presence with us. When was the last time that you just sat still before God? Slowed down, didn't put on music, didn't put on a podcast. Just were silent before God, just to be with him. Um, this is really hard for distracted people for busy people, it's hard. It's also hard for young families. Another discipline 
um, is scripture, engaging with God in his word. There are a ton of ways to engage him in his word. Uh, this happens through listening to scripture, reading scripture, studying scripture, memorizing and meditating on scripture. I want to mention a, a couple things about each of these. Listening to scripture. Often this happens mostly on Sundays for us. Very few other times do we actually listen to scripture. We may read scripture, but I'm talking about listening to Scripture. So it might be on an app like Dwell on your phone or Streetlights app. Uh, it might be driving to or from work. But there is value in just listening to the Word of God being read over you. There's deep value in that. For some reason, we think it's like a prelude for a sermon. Um, the Word of God is intended to be read, and not just read, but also that we, we should listen to it, right? Another one, reading Scripture. Uh, I want to encourage every person to read Scripture. We should be a people who read the Bible and know the Bible. And so it might be taking on a reading plan in this new year. It might be reading all of the Bible. Uh, it might be saying, man, in two weeks when we start Matthew, I'm going to start reading Matthew along with the church. That's what I want to do. Uh, the important thing is primarily that you have a plan when you want to read the Bible and not just show up and just be like, what, what should I read? I don't know. Okay, whatever. Right? That's often what happens. It might also be more contemplative reading of Scripture, where you read, you meditate, you pray, and you contemplate what God may be speaking to you, called Lectio Divina, or divine reading, spiritual reading of the Scriptures. Another way um, is studying the Scripture. We observe, we interpret, and then we apply. What does, the, what does the Word of God say? What does it mean? How do I respond to this, right? That's studying Scripture. We want to see God and know God in His Word. Also memorizing and meditating on Scripture. Psalm 1 clearly calls us to meditate day and night on the Word of God. We, we sit with that Word. Not only do we read it, not only do we study it, but we carry it with us in our hearts. And we say, God, what were you saying to me in that? And, and many have described um, this singular discipline as the bridge between Scripture and prayer, right? Because we take this passage of Scripture and we begin to pray about it. Saying, God, what do, you, what do you say about this? And then our prayers lead us back to Scripture and vice versa. It's this, it's this beautiful dance between these two. Memorizing, meditating on Scripture. It's really hard to meditate on Scripture when you haven't memorized Scripture. And so just, just trying to memorize little, little chunks. It might just be writing something on a little card or on your phone and coming back to that. Putting it by your computer screen or on your dashboard, wherever it is. Someplace that would help you. Taping it up on a mirror. Just engaging with God's Word. Not only uh, silence and solitude in Scripture, but also prayer. Uh, there's not just one way... Uh, to engage with prayer, just as there is not just one way to engage with Scripture. There are many ways to pray. The aim of prayer is communion with God and pouring out our hearts to Him and also listening for His heart. And so a few ways to pray. A really helpful one, if you guys feel challenged when you, when to, in order to pray, uh, it's just pray the Bible. So it might pick a passage that you know pretty well. So it might be Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? And so start there. You open it to Psalm 23. You say, I'm going to pray the Bible. And uh, Donald Whitney wrote a book called Pray the Bible. And, and he, it's great. It's very simple. He says, pray the Bible or pray the psalm until you run out of time or you run out of psalm, right? So just pray and just start saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And what does that lead you towards? Does that make you think of somebody? Does it make you think of a, of a request in your life? Or do you want to know God as your shepherd? Um, and then it says, I shall not want. Man, I, God, I feel like I actually do want right now. I feel like I'm, I, I can't stop obsessing over this. 
Help me know that you're my shepherd in this desire. You can be real honest with him as you pray the Bible. Not only that, there's tons of great prayer guides out there. So it might be uh, books like Valley of Vision or Scotty Smith's Prayers. Some of you guys picked up the day-by-day uh, daily prayer, fixed our prayer book uh, in the back that we, that we were uh, selling during Advent. That's a great resource as well. Um, also, there's a couple apps that I've loved lately. There's one called Lectio 365 um, that has just daily prayer, uh, a, a prayer time during that. And it's a great way to pray. Um, they have you pause and they have you reflect and they ask God and then yield. It's a beautiful little prayer app. And also there's another one called Daily Prayer app. And it's a, I just found out that Wellspring down in Inglewood uh, helps release this app. It's a great little app. Um, but it's just super helpful when it has four different prayer times during a day. Whenever you log into it, um, it has a different prayer option for you, depending on the time of day that it is. Another method of prayer is listening prayer. We, uh, we also hit on this during Advent. It's taking time to listen to God and actually wait to see if he's speaking something back to us. To actually listen for his voice. And this is a, another challenging discipline, just as silence and solitude is challenging. Um, another thing is if you're terrible at praying alone, come, come to our prayer times together. So come, come on Thursday morning at 6.30. We pray together here in, in that side gallery. Also uh, at it's on Sundays at 8.15, well, we, we have what is called boiler room prayer. We take half an hour just to sing a little bit, to listen, and then also to cry out for God to move on that Sunday. It's a great way to pray with others and, and engage with prayer. So join us there. Um, another, another discipline is just worship. Take time to sing or speak words of worship to God for who He is, all that He's done. It might be putting on a song that's moving your heart towards God, your favorite song that you're like, man, this is my jam in this season. Something is happening when I listen to this tune. I'm going to listen to it on repeat, right? So I know what it is. In the, when I get in my car, I'm like, I'm going to listen to this one over and over again until I'm sick of it, right? But it's stirring my heart, and I'm singing and I'm worshiping God through it. Also, fasting. We talked about fasting during Advent. It's, it's taking time to fast from food in order that we could feast on God and actually engage in more prayer. So it's tying into the prayer uh, discipline. As you, as you consider your rule of life, consider how you might engage in this. It might be annually in different ways. It might be weekly practices. It might be monthly practices. I don't know. You can sort that out. Um, the, the final one I want to mention is a weekly one. It's Sabbath. We talked about this during our series in Exodus. Uh, in the words of the late and great Eugene Peterson, Sabbath is a day to pray and play. It's a day to pray and play. It's a day to stop the freneticism, to slow down and simply be with God. Recognize that he's creator, that he's sustainer, that he's redeemer. And spend the day with him in simple ways, in life-giving ways. What would it look like to take a day where you actually turn off your phone and you just spend time saying, God, I want to be with you today. I want to do things that are life-giving and not just life-taking. I want to spend this day with you. As a reminder, it does us no good to simply look at these practices, put them on our plate and then just stare at them and smell them. They, these things smell great, don't they? Yes, wow. Great spices in this one, you know. But if we never actually take a fork or a spoon and actually ingest it and actually function in these practices, we will not get any life from them. We need to practice them. So uh, some of these are great for daily intake. Others are more fit for weekly rhythms. This is kind of really up to you and your prerogative as you're looking at your rule of life saying, how do I want to engage with God in these ways? I want to close with some simple and practical thoughts uh, on where do we go from here. We've said this before, but start where you are. Start where you are. Don't start where you want to be or think you should be. 
Start where you are. Don't try to take on a bunch of new practices. I remember I went on sabbatical and I was talking to somebody about it. And I was like, man, I think I'm going to have these fixed hour prayer times. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. He's like, have you ever done all of those at the same time? I'm like, no, but I'm on sabbatical. What else am I supposed to do, right? And he's like, mm, why don't you start a little bit more simply? Why don't you take on this one practice and start there? I was like, good idea, right? He's like, just take this one little passage of scripture and just chew on that throughout the rest of the day. What would it look like for us to do that? Start where we are, not where we want to be, and actually increasingly progress and grow in our relationship with God. Also, I want to encourage you, start with the important ones, the ones that, that you want to prioritize and make space and time for those things. I want, to, I want to say also that as we're developing them and we're talking to friends about these things, there's not a one-size-fits-all. For couples, for families, for all these things, there's not a one-size-fits-all rule. The goal may be the same, to abide with God, but how we get there will be different. So honor your uniqueness, honor your personality type. Keep in mind that some of these disciplines will feel like downstream practices. Others will feel like upstream practices. So downstream practices are the ones that you kill and crush and feel easy and life-giving. Upstream ones are ones that you like feel a lot of shame that you don't do and you feel like you should do more of and you want to do, but really you don't want to get to them at the end of the day. So when I said silence and solitude, all the introverts in the room, in the room were like, preach, you know. And the extroverts are like, that's hell, no, don't do it to me, don't banish me, you know, right? And so that's an example of a, of a downstream versus an upstream practice, right? Just because something is upstream doesn't mean you shouldn't practice it. It just means it'll, it'll be harder to engage with. So don't take a bunch of upstream practices and say, I'm going to dominate these 10 upstream practices, right? That's, that's not the way you should do things. Be wise about how you organize those things into your rule of life. A better way would be to simply talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you have one or two practices you want me to take on in 2020? It might be saying, hey, God, do you want me to take on something this month, these six months, this next year, whatever it is, talk to him about it and hear his invitation to step into those things. Don't hear law demanding you to go after these things, right? Remember, it takes time to build habits, good or bad. Don't give up too soon. It's almost impossible to give up a bad habit without taking on or replacing it with a new, better habit. So keep that in mind. Don't just reject certain ones and then just be like, cool, right? Take on a new and better habit, something that you actually want to pursue during that time. Also invite others into your journey. Talk to other people. Talk to friends, companions that are on the journey with you. We last far longer when we're on the journey with others. Last thing I want to say about this, God doesn't love you more because you have this intentional, well-crafted rule of life. Give yourself grace. You're not trying to earn God's favor. You're living from his favor. He already loves you. He already loves you. I want to close with this quote. It's from a, a book that, that Gary kind of mentioned last week. It says this, What a trellis is to a vine, a rule of life is to abiding. It's a structure. In this case, a schedule and a set of practices to set up abiding as the central pursuit of your life. It's a way to organize all of your life around the practice of the presence of God to work and rest and play and eat and drink and hang out with your friends and run errands and catch up on the news all out of a place of deep, loving enjoyment of the Father's company. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your presence here tonight. Uh, we thank you that you love us, not because we have a rule of life, 
Um, you love us because your heart is set on us. Your son laid down his life for us and you fill us by your spirit. And so tonight we just say thank you for you. Uh, we thank you for your leadership, your guidance in our lives. Um, you, you don't uh, lay heavy laws on us, but you invite us into a better way of life. So I, I pray uh, for us, I pray that you would, you would lead us, that you would guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you can keep your eyes closed. I want to just lead you through a bit of time of response right now, of slowing down and maybe just seeing what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart, if he's speaking anything to you. And so I want to ask you a few questions. Is there anything that God has been convicting you of or encouraging you to do tonight? Things that he's leading you into. As you heard some of these practices, are there one or two practices of direct engagement and gazing on God that Jesus might be inviting you to include in your rule of life or on a daily or a weekly uh, routine level? Are there any practices that Jesus is calling you away from to actually reject, to take out of that jar and replace it with a better habit? These might not even be sin patterns. These might be permissible things that you've just been doing out of habit. But you realize tonight that Jesus has better for you, way better for you. And also, as you think about your friendships, are there any people that you want to talk to about these things? Anyone that you want to include on this journey with you as you talk about things that you want to do and that sort of person that you want to become in 2020 by the power of the Spirit? Are there any people that come to mind, somebody that you might want to text or talk to this next week? When we, when we stand together uh, for those who are able and we want to sing together and respond to this beautiful God and ask him to do a work in our lives. Oh. 